came in like a missile, like a fireball missile across from the New York Harbor side, I guess from the north direction. It came in like a spear, just speared through the building like a fireball. I've never seen war up close, but today I have. It's just this sound, this rumble. This mass cloud coming at us. It's intense. All right, welcome back once again, everyone, for the second part of this presentation. Um, as we're looking into the, the, the power of Rome, the fourth beast, as we're told that there's a truth about this beast that we need to understand, that, um, and we need to understand it by interpretation. And now I'm going to make mention of, of, of a few things of, of, of a name because we've, we've identified some characteristics of what we're looking for, we're going to place a man or, or a body on the character that, that is described in the scriptures and, and based upon what history says to us. But without any further ado, let us open up with a silent word of prayer. Amen. Right. Welcome back once again, everyone. And I'm just going to go straight into the notes. So we left off last time dealing with the abomination. And I, forgot, I wanted to mention this part. Christ was born in 4 BC. And um, 30 years later, Jesus was baptized and began his work for three and a half years personally himself. This is what Christ did. And uh, I forgot to mention that prophecy is just beautiful. The Antichrist, this power that's going to come up, claiming to be God on earth. The reason why it's claiming to be God on earth is because Christ was God on earth. As Christ was God on earth and he humbled himself even to the death of the, death of the cross, this power claiming to be God on earth, it exalts itself. It's just in opposition to what Christ was. And Christ took 30 years from 4 B.C., to, to 27 AD and he got baptized. In other words, the father gave him power. So in 538, the dragon gave power to the papacy. The father gave him power. The same thing. After 30 years of preparation, the father gave power. Christ had to remove three things. I don't know what those three things are, but he had to remove three things himself. And, and so this is why this power, it also remove three things that was standing in its way of getting this power. So in 508, in 508, um, in 508, the daily was taken away. And 30 years later, the, this is why history is beautiful. Prophecy says that three horns had to be removed in order for this new Christian power to sit in Western Rome. In Western Rome, there was a battle to see who was going to rule from that, from that sector in Rome, in Italy. And the Bible says that the little horn that has eyes and a mouth speaking great things is going to rule from that seat. And these three powers resisted it all the way up to 530. One of them, I'm sorry, two fell and then one continued fighting. You know what history said? In 537, I think Berthier, General Berthier was Justinian's general. Justinian, king of, um, Justinian was the, uh, the king of Eastern Rome. East, the um, Constantinople in the east, and he was, and he pledged his army to, um, to, to, to. I'm gonna name the name. He pledged his army to the church. He made him the head or corrector of red. Keep this in mind. 
Justinian made him the head or corrector of heretics. So whatever this church deemed is a heretic or, or fanatic or causing confusion, it, it, it says it was going to correct it. And the way it corrected it was the same way that it got the power from the kings. It's going to use the kings to, 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 to do its correction or dealing with those that disagree with it. So in 538, the last horn was removed. And right there, this power began to rule. So here's what we, we learned so far about this power. Second Thessalonians says, it's going to be a man at the head of it who claims to be God. And he sits in the temple showing himself that he is God. And it says he's going to have eyes of adultery, the Bible says. And then it, the Bible tells us that it is going to have to remove three kings. And then it says it's going to speak blasphemy. It's going to change times and laws. I mean, there's so many characteristics that the Bible laid out. Now, if we look around this world, what religious system do we see with a man at the head of it who claims to be God on earth, even goes as far as to call himself Lord God the who? The Pope. He calls himself Lord God the Pope. They even go as far as to say they're God in the human flesh. They even go as far as to say they're the God of gods. They go that far. And they call themselves a Christian religion. But heaven calls them an abomination. Heaven calls them disgusting, filthy. We're not speaking against the people. We're speaking against the system. The system that's holding these people captive to a wrong knowledge of who God is. And here's what the Roman Catholic Church says in dealing with times and law. They go as far as say, you can get a catechism. And you can look in the catechism yourself. And they say in the catechism that the church has power to change God's law. They literally said that. And they said the church has power to change the day from worship from Sabbath to Sunday. They literally say that in the catechism. And guess what? They have history to support the change. Not that they have power from God, but that they have history to support the change. Because the, from Sabbath to Sunday was brought about by Constantine and the bishops of Rome. The bishops began to commit adultery with the kings of the earth. They, they claimed to be Christians, but now they were sleeping with the kings. In other words, they were forming an alliance with the world. And whenever we form an alliance with the world, Christ calls that disgusting. The Bible says the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And whosoever shall be a friend of the world is the what? Enemy of God. You become disgusting and hated. How do we know this? What two characters in the Bible does the Bible say God love and he hates one? Jacob and Esau. The Bible says Jacob I love and Esau I hated. You know there's a text in the Bible that says they hated me without a cause. So in order to hate somebody, you need a cause. So when God says he hates this disgusting church, what does he have? He has a cause. He has a reason as to why he hates this system of religion claiming to be a Christian faith. But in reality, it's in opposition to God. It's speaking great words against God. Here's what the Bible says about blasphemy. Just, we're just going to take one text. Jesus says, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. The Jews took up stones to stone Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you about to stone me? He says, oh, which good works are you going to stone me for? And Jesus says, for good, they said, for good work, we stone thee not. But because thou being a man and makest thyself God, this is why we're going to stone you. So the papacy, the papacy should be what? So the Jews took up stones to stone, the, to stone Christ. So that means angels are taking up stones and they're ready to stone the papacy. They're just raiding on permission from Christ. That's all they're waiting on. They're just waiting. But guess why they can't stone the Remember, they took up stones to stone Christ for claiming to be God. What happened to Herod in, in, in Acts when he claimed to be God? What did the angel do? He smote him. So there is an angel waiting to smite the Catholic Church. But that judgment is long delayed. Why is it long delayed? Because God got a lot of beautiful Christians in the Catholic Church. 
So God is holding back the hand of, the, I saw four angels holding back the four winds that they do not blow until the servants of God are sealed and called out of this an abominable, filthy, disgusting religion. It's disgusting. And anyone who connects themselves with this religion, they're disgusting themselves. How do we know this? The Bible tells us. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Can somebody read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please? Let's see what happens when we touch something disgusting. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father to, unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Amen. Paul says, come out from among them, and be ye separate, and touch not the detestable thing. Amen. Don't touch that filthy thing. What does it mean to touch in the Bible? A simple text. Christ was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. To be touched is to share the same feelings with. Don't share the same sentiments with this religion. Don't look upon this religion and fall in love with it. Come out from among them and be ye separate. The Catholic Church may look like a beautiful system, but if you study out the characteristics of the church, and look at what the Bible says about it, you will see, you will view that church the way the eyes of God through the Bible views it. God views it as an abomination. It's filthy and it's disgusting. So God says, come out from among them. And here's how the Bible paints that church. It calls it Jezebel. There's not a single Christian on this earth that don't understand the character of Jezebel. So in Revelation chapter 2, the Bible calls the Catholic Church Jezebel, that woman. And then it paints a picture of Jezebel in Revelation 17, which we're going to read. Hopefully we're going to get to. And it says she's a, she wears a scarlet color and she has on, she's decked with jewels and she has a cup in her hand filled with the filthiness of her abomination and her fornication, which, which she corrupt the kings of the earth. She makes the kings drink these abomination, abominable teachings. The cup and the wine means teaching. Wine means doctrine. And she makes the kings of the earth drink her doctrine. And therefore, she sits in their temple or their heart, showing itself that it is God and commanding everyone to worship it. That's what it did in 538 to 1798. And the Bible says in Daniel 7, 25, it shall be given into its hand for a time, times, and the dividing of time. For three and a half years. For three and a half years, power was given into Christ's hand from 27 AD to 31 AD. And Christ reigned on earth for three and a half years. Himself, God in the flesh. And the papacy did the same thing prophetically for three and a half years or 1260 years. And the Bible says at the end of 1260 years, it was going to receive a deadly wound. Revelation 13 and verse 3. It was going to receive this deadly wound. And literally in 1798, the papacy received a wound. And guess who gave it this wound? The same one that put it on the throne. France. France placed the papacy on the throne. France took the papacy off the throne. Because Jesus declares the end from the beginning, you see, if you understood this rule and you saw that prophecy fulfilled in history, agreeing with that prophecy, your soul would do well. Because the Bible says, beloved, I wish above all things that, that thou be in good health. That, and um, that um, I wish above all things that thou be in good health and prosper even as thy soul prospereth. Prophecy is designed to make our souls prosper. And if we understood that France put the papacy off the throne and the Bible says France would take the papacy off the throne, we would do well. How would we do well? Our faith in the word of God, that this is really God's word, would increase. Our soul would really do well if we see history agreeing with the Bible. So now back to the notes. So an abomination, is there another definition that we have in there after 2 Corinthians? 
or does it go to, to um, desolate? I think there was another definition for abomination. Yes. Yes. Can you read that one, please? Extreme hatred. Okay. So what does abomination mean? Extreme hatred. Who called it the abomination again? Gabriel. Gabriel, Gabriel expressed extreme hatred for this system. So heaven has extreme hatred for the, for the abominable Catholic Church. That's how heaven labels it. Okay, you can continue with the bowls, please. Detestation. The objection of detestation, a common signification in Scripture. Okay, thank you. And then the next one now, we're going to go to desolate, right? Is that the one? Uh, there's the... Matt, okay, I'm going to jump over that one. That one is where Christ says, And when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When you shall see this extreme hateful thing spoken of by Daniel the prophet, whoso read it, let him understand. So whenever we see this abomination or this detestable thing coming up or standing where it ought not, this is what Mark says. Jesus says, when you read Daniel, we better understand this. We better understand what it means when this abominable or detestable thing begins to come up. What I want to point out, the reason why verse 31 to 35 calls it the abomination, whenever you see that abomination, is dealing with religion. So from 31 to 35, this is dealing with the religious aspect of Rome, not its civil aspect is dealing with this religious aspect. And then when you read those verses after, once Rome got the power, once the Catholic Church got the power in 538, it began a bloody persecution against those that it called, that, that it called heretics. And this is the next verse. And, it's, and read verse 32 for us, please, of Daniel 11, verse 32. It's, it's probably up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Once it got its power, yes. this is what it did. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be, shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know, knew, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And 33, please. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity and by spoil many days. Okay, so it says that the people that do know their God they're going to protest this union between the church and the state that the Catholic Church has formed. And they're going to fall by sword, by famine, many days. And when you go down to verse 35, it says that this was going to happen until the time of the end. That's what it says, until the time of the end, and it stops right there. And the very next verse says, and the king, now it's switched. Now it's switched and called it the king. It called it the abomination in 31 because it was dealing with the church. And then it switched to call it the king because now it's dealing with what? The state aspect. The papacy has two heads. This is not hard to prove because history says that itself. The papacy has two heads. It has a civil head and it has a religious head. Do you know why it has two heads? Because Christ has two heads. He's God and he's man. And God made Christ the head of state as God. And God made Christ the head of religion as high priest. Christ is the high priest. He's head over religion and he's head over state. And, and Christ is only waiting to get his kingdom. But he gets his kingdom after his work of saving his people is finished. Once he has saved all of his people, the subjects of his kingdom, the Bible says the kingdom is going to be given to him. This is Daniel 7. This is what we read. There's five universal kingdoms in the book of Daniel. Four earthly and one heavenly. There's the four and there's one heavenly, which is the stone cut out without hand. Christ is going to get his kingdom. Before he gets his kingdom, the church has to do a work. The high priest has to do a work of cleansing the people and blotting out their sins so that they can sit or reign with Christ in his kingdom. That work must be finished before the, the work of the church must be finished before Christ gets his kingdom. And that's how the plan of salvation is going to close with Christ getting his people and then getting his kingdom. Another subject for another time. But back to the papacy. So the papacy has two heads, one civil and one religious. And now let's look at the definition of, of desolate. Can you read the definition of desolate, please? The bold, the bowls. Numb. 
Be destitute, wonder. Destitute and wonder. Those and, are the, the bold. And I think there's some bullet. others. Did we put that in the other? Deserted of God. Yes, that's what I wanted. And deserted of God. So this is, they, they're going to place the abomination that makes things deserted of God. Once you accept the Catholic faith, you're what? Deserted of God. This is important to understand. Once you accept this system, in other words, once you form an alliance with this system, you should begin to see desertion. God's spirit, remember we went over this, God's spirit is gradually but surely being withdrawn. Once you form an alliance with this power, God begins to withdraw his spirit. And you should see signs of this withdrawal with liberty going away and bondage increasing. An increase in religious and civil oppression. That's what you're going to see. When this power ruled the world for 1260 years, it was religious and civil oppression. Verse 31 to 35 is dealing with religious oppression. 36 to 40 is dealing with civil oppression. This power has two heads, not one. It has two heads, and the Bible wants us to understand this because it says, and one of his head was what? Wounded to death. Well, let's see what history says about the head that was wounded to death. Now in our notes, we're not going to take a look at 36 to 40 for right now. Jump over that and go down to, the, to, to some quotes dealing with, we might come back up to, 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 to 36 or 40, but I want to go down to some quotes, and I don't know exactly where to find it, but it's some quotes, um, some references from the websites dealing with the Vatican and, yeah, and 34. page 34. Yeah, bottom Can, 34. Five, mm -hmm. Bottom of 34, thank you. Let's start reading from there. I want to bring in some historical things that said about the Vatican and what happened with Napoleon and things of that nature. Can you begin reading them? And we're going to comment on them as we go along. Vatican Hill was home to a meeting place to resist heresy and paganism, as the Christians called it from the 6th century to stigmatize non-Christians. After the fall of the Roman Empire in 476, the hill became the residence for the popes. During the time of, the, of Constantine and the kingdom of the Lombards, the Pope received many donations, particularly landholdings over the centuries, making the Pope one of the biggest landholders in Europe. So what is the Pope? What is the it's Pope? a landholder. Just read verse 36 to 40. They're going to divide the land for gain. And history says they're the biggest landholders in Europe. Till when? Till this day. They haven't lost it. They're still the, they still hold the deeds to the lands. Why? Because the kings gave them that. The kings gave them the land. That's what they did. But I want us to miss something. They sit in the Vatican, and that's where they persecute the churches. But notice what it says. This was in the 6th, what? Century. century. And what's the 6th century? You can't make that up. The Bible says 538. History says 6th century. The Bible says 538. History says 6th century. So what did God just do here? He just made history and prophecy agree. This should be the reason you come to God. Who is God? The Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And understanding this should make you come to the Word of God. Why? To get more of this. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But let us continue. Read the next one, please. We're just going to walk through them slowly and comment on them. Let's look at, continue to look at what history says about the Vatican. This helped legitimatize the power of the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican. The popes became more powerful than kings and emperors. Stop during... right there. The popes became more what? More powerful. More powerful than who? Kings and emperors. Why did they become more powerful? If somebody owns the deeds to your land, you're a slave. Yeah. You're in bondage. Amen. So if the popes became more powerful, then notice what it says. Not the state. The popes became more powerful than the kings. So who is writing who? The church is writing the state. So if the king wants to remain a king, it's going to have to do the deeds of the pope. So whoever the pope considers to be a heretic, he's going to call on England to go deal with that heretic. 
And guess what happened in the 6th century and onwards? That's exactly what happened. So right there, history literally tells us the woman, the Catholic Church, was literally riding the kings. It was riding them. But then when you come close to 1798, one of those kings or kingdom got sick and tired of that woman riding it. It wanted liberty from it. But let us continue. So I don't want us to continue reading, please. During the... The popes became more powerful than kings and emperors during the Middle Ages, and their infallible authority became increasingly contested during the 14th century for several reasons. Social upheaval, the plague which was ravaging Europe, political crisis, religious warring between Catholics and Protestants, rational rationalization. After the French Revolution, Napoleon's troops under the directory entered Rome on 6, Fe on 6 February 1798. The Pope was forced to give up his power to retain his spiritual... Stop right there. What was the Pope forced to do? Give up his power. Which power? Civil. What power was he forced to do? Civil. He had to give it up to do what? To hold to the, to hold to the, to hold to the religious head. Yeah. He had to give up one head to keep the other head. So, that, so what is the Bible saying there? And a deadly wound. It received a deadly wound. It, it came up through, pol, um, through politics, and it received a wound through politics. If it wanted to continue as a religion, it had to give up its civil power. And in 1798, the, the, you think the Pope wanted to give up that power? No. Nope. So what did Napoleon tell his general to do? Drag him off the throne. They just ripped, they marched into Rome, literally, in, in 1798, February of 1798, General Berthier marched into Rome and took the Pope off the throne and put him in captivity. And he died in prison, I think, a year later. Yeah. A year later, he died in prison. But guess what the Bible says? And I saw one of his head. Why does it say one of his head? Because it has two heads, not one. It has two heads. It rules in church and it rules in state. And in order to retain its church head, it had to lose its state head. But turn with me to Revelation 13. Let's go to Revelation 13 and, and read verse the, the healing. Go to, go to verse, verse 4, correct? It's verse 4, verse 7. Revelation 13, 4 or 7. Yeah, it's either three, four, or seven. Three. Okay, thank you. Can you read that, please? It's not in the notes. No, it's not in the notes. Oh. I know it's not in the notes. Revelation 13, 3. How much time do I have left? And I saw, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, okay. and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And all the world what? Wondered. What does um, um, desolate means? Wonder. Wonder. When the wound is healed, all the world is going to what? Wonder after this beast. But how is the wound healed? The same way it was wounded. It was wounded through politics, so politics is going to heal it. Politics killed it, so politics is going to lift it up. So what am I saying? When we see politics, when we see governments begin to put the abomination or put this religious system in a position it shouldn't have, Christ says, when you see this, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it art not, whoso read it, let him understand. So whenever we see a government Beginning to put the abomination where it should not be, where, where shouldn't it be? Controlling the civil government. How do we know it shouldn't be there? Because God removed it, but the Lord allowed it to continue as a church. God allowed it to continue as a church, but not a civil power. It lost that head in 1798, and now it said, the Bible says, prophecy says that wound is going to be healed. So what we're now watching for is the healing of this wound and how it's to be healed. That's what we're watching for. Remember, something hindered it from coming up the first time. Three things hindered it from coming up the first time. 
So Jesus declares the end from the beginning. So three things is hindering it from coming up the second time. But we're not going to deal with that right now. We just want to focus on history that has been. Because when we understand the history that has been, then we understand the history that will be. If we know what has been, we are certain what will be. Because the Bible says we have also a more sure word of history that we do well, that we take heed as unto a light. History is sure because God is. Because Jesus is I am, history is sure. And Jesus make history and prophecy agree so that the true believing child of God will not doubt or worry because God is the one taking care of history. History is God's care. That's why Jesus says, don't fret yourself. Take no thought for tomorrow because God takes care of all of those things. That's God's domain. When we take thoughts for tomorrow, guess who we're behaving like? The heathen. And who's the heathen? The thing that God hates. We're behaving like them. Because they're taking thoughts for tomorrow, they're forming alliances to save themselves. When we take thoughts for tomorrow, leaving God out of the thoughts, we're going to form an alliance that we don't want to form. So God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow belongs to God. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he showeth them his covenant. So we don't need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, Jesus says, sufficient thereof, sufficient thereof is, sufficient is the evil thereof. We don't need to worry about that. Now let's continue. Let's go back to, go ahead. When you said that God takes care of history, you just made me think that history is his story. It's his Amen. book. He Amen. writes it. It's his story. But what's mm -hmm. the man of sin trying to do? Make it his story. He's trying to change times and law. He's trying to change history to make it his story. Right? Mm -hmm. But Christ says, he shall fall. Right? He yeah. shall be broken without hands. And he's not going to find any remedy. Christ is going to remove his record from history. He's going to wipe it away. How do we know that? Because he's going to blot out sins. And if he's called a man of sin, what's going to happen to him? He's going to be blotted out. He's the man of sin, so he's going to be blotted out of his story. He's not going to find a place in his story. But God wants us to find a place in his story. But first, we must find a place in his prophecy. When we find a place in his prophecy, then by the grace of God, we will find a place in his story. There's a prophecy about you and I in the Bible. Every individual on this planet has a story to tell in the Bible. We have a story in the Bible but we got to find it. The Bible says you shall seek me and search me when you, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When we come to Christ and learn of him and we find him, we'll find the pages of our life in the Bible. Every one of us is in the Bible. We're all in the Bible. It's just there by character. Which character is representing us in the Bible? Is it Jacob or Esau? Is it David or Saul? Is it Peter or Judas? Which one? Which one? Is it Cain or Abel? Which character is representing us in the Bible? All we have to do is study the character of those, those men and see what character I'm developing as I look at the lives of these men. Am I developing the character of Christ who humbled himself, or am I developing the character of the man of sin who exalts himself while claiming to be a Christian? The Catholic Church is claiming to be a Christian church, but the Bible says it's an abomination. And then Paul says, touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Okay, let's go back to the definitions, please. Let's read a couple more, and then we want to look at something else. Is there any more definitions that I have in there for it? No, you're magnified. Okay, jump over magnified. There's a few more definitions down at the after magnify, I believe. Psalms 138. All right, jump over that. Listen, it's in there, right? Mm -hmm. the, the Vatican City and... Yeah. Oh, you passed it? I passed it? Yeah. All right, don't worry about those then. Well, what, what was going there for was just to show that as, as Berthier marched into Rome and took the papacy off the throne, he, he removed them. Rome was... Uh, what's the word? Um, Rome was, I don't, remember, I don't know the right word, Rome was removed 
as like an independent country or something like it was not a country anymore it was now it was just there basically and over time history says that Rome ended up becoming the capital of Italy so today Rome's the capital of Rome's the cap capital of Italy but in Rome you have the Vatican and Vatican is is a is a city state and a city state is a is a city in a city that's claiming to be an independent country so here you have this little horn what is what is the bible showing us it's being broken to pieces it's being humbled it, it came down a little lower now it's in this little city of the vatican but what does the bible say it will be healed rome is going to be its capital again how do i know that because christ comes in the time of rome Rome needs to rule the world in order for Christ to come. The deadly wound will be healed. It doesn't just get the Vatican. It's going to get Rome. And when it gets Rome, it's going to spread its, its, its venom everywhere. But the real Rome it wants to get, we're not going to look. We're not going to deal with that right now. There's another Rome it wants to get. Remember, you have natural and then you have what? Spiritual. You have natural Rome. Now we're looking for spiritual Rome. We're not going to deal with who spiritual Rome is, but I'll, I'll try to give us some clues right now. Rome came up as a republic, and then it ended up speaking like a dragon. Remember, a dragon is kings, rulers, and governors. Rome didn't come up having kings. Rome came up having a senate, a consulate, and what else? And a what? And an emperor system. In other words, they had a president, they had a legislative hall, and they had a supreme court. So I'm just giving us the character of what Rome was in the past. And if you can put in your mind of what the character of what Rome was in the past, and Jesus declared the Jesus declared a future from the past, then it gives you an idea of who Rome is today. Whoever Rome is today, the character of it must be a republic. And after it's a republic, it's going to have a king system. It's going to have an imperial system, while at the same time claiming to be a republic. Because Rome was a republic, but when Julius and Augustus and Tiberius became king, they still had the senate, the consulate, and the republic system. But they didn't function as a republic system. They functioned as a what? An imperial system. And the Bible says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and it had two horns like a republic. A lamb is a republic. What is a republic? What is a republic? It's a system where the what? The people. people govern themselves. So a nation is going to come up giving people the rights to govern themselves. It's going to come up speaking peace. But the Bible says what? It's going to end up speaking like a dragon. Because that's exactly how ancient Rome came up. Jesus declares the end of Rome from the beginning of Rome. The natural Rome is showing us the spiritual Rome. And it's not very hard to, 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 to paint a picture of what we are talking about here. It's not very difficult. So when the Bible says the deadly wound is healed, that Rome will rule the world again or try to, it will try to rule the world again. It's going to be healed. The only way we're going to be sure that that is going to happen is when we see all the sure prophecies that were fulfilled in the past. When we see the prophecies that was fulfilled in the past, the Bible highlighted that will be fulfilled, then it makes future prophecies more sure. It makes what God says will be very sure. And then what we will do because it was sure, we would do well and we will begin to change our lives to prepare for what God says is certainly will come that this power will rule. And as that power will rule, there's a character that we must have to live when that power rules. And if we don't have that character, we're going to be unable to stand when that power rules. And the Bible says, all the world is going to wander after that beast whose names is not written where? In the Lamb's book of life. Christ has a book. And if our name is not in his book, then we're going to wander after that beast when its wound is healed. And the healing of the wound is not the church. It's still a church. It's still continuing as a church. The wound that's healed, it's its civil part. 
So now let's go look at Daniel 11, 30, 36 to 40. Let's look at Daniel 11, 36. Um, go, there's no more quotes, right? There's no more quotes in there, I believe. And the last part is on um, father and mother, to my understanding, right? Yeah. We're going to come back to that a little bit. Let's just go up to Daniel 11.36, really brief. Back up to a little bit into the notes. Just wanted to put those things in. In the few minutes I have, I'm just going to highlight these points. In Daniel 36, can, some, can you read that? 36 and 37, That's please. Page 33. 33. Mm -hmm. The bottom of 33. 36 and 37, please. Mm -hmm. And the king, and the king shall do according to his will. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the god of his fathers nor the desire of women nor regard any god for he shall magnify himself above all. Okay, so this king, it says, and the king. 35 ends with the time of the end. And all I want to show is that 31 to 35 is about the religious aspect of Rome. That's why it says the abomination that maketh desolate is set up and then it persecutes the church. From 31 to 35 is all about the religion because we just read the Vatican in the 6th century. This is where it, it when it sit in the, sat in the Vatican, it commanded the people to, 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 give, to give trouble to the church. From the Vatican. That's where the Pope ruled from the Vatican. When you go to 36, it takes you back to 538. That's because it already tells you in 35 that this is the time of the end. But in 36, it takes you back to 538 and it says, and the king, to let you know it's talking about the same power. But this aspect of Daniel 11, 36 to 40, is not dealing with the, the church head, it's dealing with the civil head. That's the head it's dealing with. And the civil head, why do you think Napoleon wanted, wanted to remove the, the papal head? Why do you think he wanted to remove the civil head? It wasn't the church that was giving it a problem. France already removed the church from giving it a problem. It accepted atheism. They removed the religion of the church, and they accepted the, the goddess of reasons. They didn't want the reasons of the Catholic anymore. They wanted the goddess of reason to rule and control their lives. They went with the, the, the worst abomination of Catholicism, which is no God at all, which is just, just as terrible, because Catholics is just atheism masquerading as Christianity, the Catholic system, not the people, the Catholic system. So as you go on, France now changed its religion, and when it changed its religion, it changed its government. You know what the Bible is showing to us? Religion leads us to develop a government. If we have the wrong religion, we're going to have a wrong government. If we have the right religion, we're going to have a right government. Religion is the route to developing a government. That's why Jesus works on the heart first. If, I, if God changes the heart, we'll form a better government. Religion is not evil. I pray by the grace of God, we're going to look into what religion is. Religion just simply means whatever you believe. That's all religion is. Whatever you believe, that's your religion. Either your belief comes from God or your belief comes from Satan or it's your own ideas and your own opinion. It doesn't matter. There's no such thing as no religion. Anyone who says they have no religion, that's their religion. If you say you have no religion, that is your religion because that's what you believe. No religion. Whatever you believe molds your character. If you're an atheist, that's going to mold your character. If you're a Catholic, that's going to mold your character. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, what you believe is going to mold your character. How do we know that? Because the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. So we are what we think. So it matters what religion we choose to have. We choose here at Living Water to receive Christ's religion. Religion must come from God. The religion that comes from God will go back to God. We accept Christ's religion. Christ says his religion, well, how does he say it? If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and do what? Deny his religion and follow my religion. Deny your religion, deny your thoughts and your ways and follow my thoughts and my ways. If you follow my thoughts and my ways, it will take you up to me. But if you follow your thoughts and your ways, it leads to destruction. Jesus says, broad is the way. Broad is the religions. And many there be that go into that. 
and narrows the way, narrows the religion that leads to life, but few there be that finds the religion that leads to life. Religion just means belief system. Whatever is your belief system, that people have a horrible idea of what religion is, a terrible idea. And the reason for that is they don't use the tools to understand things in life. Just look up the definition of religion. That's all you have to do. What religion really means is just a belief system. Whatever you believe, you don't have to go to church to have a religion. Whatever you believe, that's your religious life. What do they call it? Religiously. Whatever you believe, you're going to do religiously. And that's going to mold your character. Religion is just what a person believes that leads him to act out his thoughts. That's all religion is. Everybody has a religion. There's no such thing as no religion. Christianity is just a people who choose to put away their beliefs for God's belief. That's what Christianity is. We choose to follow the thoughts God says should rule my mind. That's it. And that's our religion. And we want to encourage you. If you're hearing God's voice these past few nights, however long you've been here, if this is the first night, Join our religion. Join the religion that God has given. Join the religious belief in which he wants us to believe. And, and, and we will do well if we do so. I pray that evidences has been given to support these things in which we're teaching. And hopefully you will come to God and want to start a religious life with him. That's what the Lord wants. He wants us to come to his religion and join him and allow him to mold our character and don't follow your own heart. There's a false idea out there about follow your own heart. The religion of God says your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Why do you want to follow a heart that's only going to deceive you? Do you know why your heart's going to deceive you? Because 10 times out of 10, everyone that don't believe in God, they're going by their feelings. Feelings is very deceptive. It's a very deceptive religion to have. There's a good one day and it's bad the next. It's deceitful. And you know what that does to you when you go good and go bad? It's going to make you terrible. You don't have no foundation and you're unstable. And what does this power do? It beguiles unstable soul. Everyone who follows their feelings, they're going to be begot. To follow your feelings make you unstable. It, that's what it does. Feelings is not to govern you. Reason is to govern us. And the best reason we want governing us is the one Christ gives, gives to us. That's the one we want. When that one governs us, it puts our feelings in control. I mean, it puts our reasons in control and it keeps our feelings subdued. Feelings is not bad. Feelings is only right when it's in agreement with our reason. As long as reason reigns, your feelings will be right. But let's go back to the notes. So in Daniel eleven thirty six, 36, it says that um, he shall be, um, be God's, um, gods over the gods or something like that to my, to yeah. my knowledge. Um, yes. Verse 36 and 37. Yeah. says he shall magnify yeah. himself yeah. above every yeah. god. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'm not going to go into it. If you have the notes, I, I want to encourage you to just go through the notes. I have some evidences in there to show what God's is, but I'm just going to say it for sake of time. One of the meaning of gods in the scripture, it just mean rulers or kings. Gods just mean rulers or king. And just simple, simple text. God ruleth over the nations. To be God is to be ruler. So when it says in the beginning God created, in the beginning the ruler created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning the king created the heavens and the earth. To see God as king is to see him as creator. That's what, you, that's what it means to God to be king. As king, he's the king of creation. He's the king that allows everything to be. To see God as the high priest, he's our savior. This is the one that saves us from our sin. That's a religious matter. To save people from sin is a religious affair. To give us a civil government is a king affair. So the papacy sets up a system to mimic or copy or or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Counter, thank you. Or counterfeit Christ system, being head over state and head over the church. And in 1798, the head of the papacy 
the state was wounded to death. And I, I challenge anyone to go look this up because history teaches this about the papacy, that it has two heads. Until this day, many people are confused about this. The same Pope Francis that you see today, he's both a king and a priest. This is why, just I, I challenge you to research this. In the UN, as a priest, he can't go there. But he can go there as a king. No, wait, it's the other way around. He can't. No, there was one because they don't accept. They don't accept. I want to get it right. He can't go there. They, he can't go there as a king. That's it. He can't go there as a king because the UN is a republic system. He can't go there as a king, but he can go there as a religion. But it's the same guy in the same body. I, I really want us to see this. He can't go to the. This is this is historical fact. He can't go to the U. If we don't understand this, we're going to wander after the beast. He can't go to the UN as a king, but he can go as a priest. In other words, he can give them opinions or he can give them, com um, what's the word, suggestions. He can give them counsels, but he can't give them civil advice. He can give them religious and social advice, but he can't give religious advice. By peace, he shall destroy many and in 1989, Reagan went to Pope John Paul II, not for civil advice, for religious advice. And since that time, do you want to know in history? I hope my brother goes over this. I'm just trying to lay this groundwork. Since 1989, this day, American history, the history we're now living in, they says 1989 marks the worst time for American history. They said from that point on, America and the world radically changed. They call that time a turning point in the history of America and the world. And a lot, and the Bible says, and, the, and when they shall set up the abomination that maketh desolate, desolate means to make void of life. And since 1989, we're seeing life going away from America. What is life? Liberty. We're seeing liberty slowly slipping away from the United States. It's getting harder and harder to control people in politics, to control people in business, to control people in the school, to control people in their families, to control prison. You're just seeing liberty going away slowly but surely. And when you can't control people logically by reason and law anymore, America's going to come to a point like Rome came to that point, well, since I can't control you with laws that are just written, I'm just going to control you by brute force. I'm just going to make you do what I say. And it had two horns like a lamb and it spake as a dragon. Now I want to close out with this part. What is the dragon? Go down to the last part of the notes. And this is where we're now going to stop. How much time do I have left? Seven minutes. We're going we're gonna to wrap up. I pray that we understand this part, and I really hope that we get this part. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> and the Bible says, and the Lord God says, let us, make man in our, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then it says, male and female made he them. What is a, what is a male? What is another name for a male in the home system? Father. And what is the, what is the, 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 Mother. no, that word you used. What is the co counterpart? What is the counterpart name? Mother, right? You said it is mother. So you have a father and you have a mother. The mother is the teacher of the home. The mother is the one that prepares the children for the world. Whatever the mother instill in the child, that's what is going to go out into the world to do. But the mother is going to enforce the laws of the father. The mother's not going to teach contrary to what the father says. So the point is, the, the father is the civil aspect in the home. He's the king in the home. He sets the laws to the home, and the family follows that law. The father is like the son. Does the son follow anything in this universe, or does everything follow the son? Everything in this atmosphere, this galaxy follows the sun. The sun influences the whole galaxy in which we're in. The moon follows it. The earth follows it. All the planets follow it. In other words, the sun sets the influence for everyone to follow. And the moon 
It has its own light as well, but it gets its light from the sun. The mother is like the moon in the home. And we get this story in Genesis chapter 37, where Jacob saw he was the sun and the mother was the moon and the children were the stars. And Jacob was the ruler in the home. The mother upheld that rule. She didn't exalt himself above the father and she didn't try to pull him off his throne. She simply supported him in his throne and she taught the children the belief or the religion or the laws of the father. That's what the mother does. She doesn't make her own laws and her own rules. She simply follows the one that was set for her. How do we know this is so? Because the Bible says the man was formed before the woman. So if the man was formed first, he sets the rules first. This is what the Bible teaches us. That's what it teaches us. So when you go on now, the father's the king and the mother's the queen and the father's the head of state and the mother's the head of the religion. The mother ensures what the children believes. But the, the mother gets his belief from the father. Jesus ensures what his children believe, but Jesus gets his belief from the Father. He says, I kept my Father's commandment, and now I want you to keep my commandment, and keeping my commandment, you're keeping the Father's commandment. Jesus played the role of the mother because it's, we're dealing with the character. It's not natural. We're dealing with the character. Jesus says, as a, as a, as a hen gathers his chick under his wings, Jesus, the, that's the hen, the mother, gathering his chick. Jesus is gathering his children and bringing it under the protection of the Father. That's what he's doing. That's what Jesus did when he was on earth. He brought people back to follow the Father. Why am I going to this? I hope we can get this. Now go down with me to the next one. Why am I doing this? You see, in Revelation 17, the Bible says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. In Revelation 17... The woman on that beast is the Catholic Church, and the beast is also Rome. So the woman is the Roman Church, and the beast is Rome, the civil power. A lot of people didn't understand this for some time. How can Rome ride Rome? Yes, Rome does ride Rome. The religious aspect of Rome is sitting on the civil aspect of Rome. I hope everyone's following. The, the, the idea is that power is being controlled by its thoughts and feelings. It's reason is not controlling it. Reason is like the king. Reason is to have feelings in control. The mother's like the feeling. This is why women battles with their feelings more than, the, more than the man. It's not that man doesn't have feeling, but a woman is more inclined to go with her feelings than her reason. And that's why Jesus says, woman, your husband shall rule over you. His reasons shall keep you in control. Because woman in the beginning lost control of her reason. She submitted to another power. She gave herself up to the beast. She allowed the beast to control her and, and, and govern her. So Christ came and snatched her back out of that hand and says, Look, for your own safety, come under the rulership of your husband. He will take care of you. This is what he's going to do. This is what the husband is supposed to do. So now as you go on in that story, I just want to point this out. The Bible says, um, Psalms 27, are you down there? It says, If your mother... If your father and your mother, when your father and your mother forsake you, what does it say? I want us all to get this. Go to John chapter 8 for us, please. John 8 verse 44. What does it say? You are of your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning and he abode not in the truth because he's a liar and the father of it. So whoever lies is the who? Child of who? The devil, that's your father. And the Bible says, let God be true and every man a what? A liar. At one point, we were all children of the devil because we were liars. But then in Revelation 17, it says she's the mother of what? Harlots. I want us to see something here. The Bible says when our father and our mother forsake us, then the Lord will take us up. You see at the sun, I hope we can, this is a deep spiritual thing we're about to say here. The devil and the religion of this world have to give us up in order for God to take us up. I want us to understand this. There's a light that God must send that makes Pharaoh give us up and the mother give us up. The king must give us up and the land must give us up. If the king and the land don't give us up, God can't take us up. They must reject us. 
What's going to happen at the Sunday law? For those who receive the Sabbath, the seal of God, what's, the, what's, what's Satan going to do? He's going to try to do what? Remove you from the land. He's going to remove you from the land because you reflect the image of Christ. So then, because you reflect the image of Christ and the, the, the devil gives you up and the land gives you up, what is Christ going to do? The Bible says we shall be caught up. God literally is going to take us up because Pharaoh gave us up and the land gave us up. But the only way the father, the Satan is going to give us up and the land is going to give us up is if we accept the religion of Christ that makes the father, the dragon hates us and the land hates us. That isn't that what the story of Moses teaches us? God couldn't take them out of Egypt until Pharaoh gave them up. Pharaoh had to give them up in order for God to take them out. So if Satan doesn't give us up, God can't take us out. But how did Pharaoh give them up? They accepted the religion of the I am. God says to Moses, go down there and tell them I am sent you. And when Israel accepted the religion of the I am, God fought for them. And Pharaoh was forced to give them up. That story is there to teach us that if Satan doesn't give us up, we're going to receive the mark of the beast and be his children forever. He has to give us up. And the only, this is why Jesus can tell them in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. When we, and the Bible says, because they receive not a love of the truth, God shall send them a strong delusion that they shall believe a what? And he's the father of all those that believe that lie. Satan doesn't give up liars. He holds them. If we want Satan to give us up, we must receive the truth. He gives us up by opposing us. And what does he do? He casts us out. What did, he do to, what did the Jews do to Christ? They gave him up. So what did the father do? He took him up. The religion of the Jews gave him up. And the civil government of Rome gave him up. That was to show that Satan wanted, did not want Christ in this earth. So because Satan didn't want Christ in this earth, the father took Christ up to heaven. And then what did the Bible say? A death sentence is waiting for Satan. It's waiting for him. But the gospel must play out a little longer because Jesus has children that he needs to save from the religion of Satan and from the, from the civil ideas of Satan. You see, the way governments run this world today is either God's idea or Satan's idea. And all religions in this world is either God's idea or Satan's idea. And, and the father and the mother of this world must give us up. Satan and his religious views and his religionists, they all must give us up in order for God to take us up. And I pray that this was a blessing this evening. By the grace of God, we're going to develop these thoughts as we, go, as we go on a little further in the future. And I pray that we'll join us tomorrow. Please, by the grace of God, join us tomorrow at 10 o'clock, 10, 10 a.m. sharp, um, right back here from 10 to 2. We're going to continue the seminar. And I believe the Lord has a rich blessing for us because it's the Sabbath. And we have to have faith in that because the Lord says, I will refresh you when you keep the Sabbath. And by the grace of God, this happens when we are obedient. When we, when we keep the Sabbath the way the Lord, to the best of our abilities, the way the Lord says we should keep it, the Lord, will, the Lord will refresh us. And I pray that we will be blessed. So please join us tomorrow as we continue with this seminar, as my brothers are, are going to pick it back up. We have three presentations by the grace of God tomorrow. And I hope that we come ready, get some good rest tonight, and wake up refreshed to, to continue back with these wonderful themes and thoughts, these wonderful evidences that God is laying out before us. And I hope that what has been shared to you these past three days makes you want to come to God. If it doesn't have that drawn power, because the Bible says with love and kindness have I drawn thee. And if what was taught these three days doesn't have a drawn power upon you, then I failed. I, I, I didn't do the part the Lord wants me to do. So I pray that by the grace of God that there was no failure because there's no failure in God. God Jesus never lost the case. So I hope that if we heard God's voice, um, the Lord's voice throughout these, um, these, these few days, and we saw the evidences that were laid out, and they appealed to our reason, please come to God. 
Go home and see whether these things be so, and the Lord will take you up. This is what he promises, promised to do for those who seek him. So let us close out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we want to thank you for this Sabbath day. We want to thank you for the light you continue to, to, to cause to fall upon us and the evidences in which you give us to make our faith sure and certain. And Lord, I pray and ask that you help us to come to you. There's more coming, to, there's more coming that we have to do, O oh Lord, because knowledge is ever increasing, we are told. So Lord, we have to come to you every day. As Paul says, we must die daily. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you bless us with a peaceful night's rest and that you will help us to be refreshed so that we can come to you again in the morning and gather together around the family altar, altar and study out the evidences that you've given to us to make our faith sure in you and that to make us believe in you and that to make us seek you diligently so that we can find you. Please forgive us of our sins. Please may you create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. And we pray that healing will take place in whatever aspects in which we need it this Sabbath day because you did many of your miracles, most of your miracles on the Sabbath. So please, Lord, may you bring healing to those of us who need it this day. And we ask these things. And Lord, please may you bless the next uh, presentations that will follow in the days to come. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.